0: Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Kirk Gray. Hey, Kirk. You know, in, in one or more of our previous episodes, um, we've talked about how you basically learned reliability with a handful of mentors, you know, and Doctor Hobbs right. and and a handful of others, kind of gave you the taught you the ropes, taught you the process, the philosophies, the the, the way you approach um, problems in in the field. And I have a handful of folks that I've you know point to as mentors that I learn uh, statistics and I learn the, the the fundamental need to do root cause analysis and. You know, speak with data, um, things like that. I, I, but but you and I have been to conferences. We've given papers. We've listened to I don't know how many papers. We've reviewed papers. Um, you wrote a book. Um, you know that there's so many uh, courses and lessons and and workshops and everything else. Um, I dare say you probably even read a book or two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. But of all of those things, all of these different ways that we learn our trade are the skills and the tools and the techniques and the processes and stuff like that. What would you say is the best way? If you had a magic wand and you walk on an organization, we're going to teach you about reliability. Um, what's the best way to do that?
1: Uh, well, I'd first go into a company and say, have you made a product before? <laughs> and they say, Yes. I said, did you have any failures of that product in Whoa. production or in the field? Why do you they say, say that? <laughs> yes,
0: we have. Why do you say, say that? <laughs> they failed. We didn't expect them to fail, so that shouldn't have happened. But how did you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Do you have some of those failed products in-house, or have you kept them? Or did you do a f- f- root uh, root cause analysis on what caused the failure? Um, and can I see that data, please? Oh, well. We shipped we it to the vendor. We don't yeah. like failures, so
0: we threw it away. Yeah. <laughs> They're such
1: a downer. <laughs> the best way to learn about reliability is look into the unreliable instances of, uh, of the failures in the field whether it could have been training or you know usage or misuse by the customer there's many reasons it could be a good design but the customer yeah uh, the
0: wrong product for that environment you know it it could be a perfect design but it's in the in the wrong hands or wrong so i mean do do is the best reliability training train our operators how to use it well and would that make it better in some cases it would
1: this was uh, this was a dilemma that uh, Boeing had to deal with, and I I mentioned a post if you go to my LinkedIn uh, site or my page for LinkedIn, you'll see i made a post about the Netflix documentary on Boeing, the downfall, uh, the basically the problem with the uh, 737 Max uh, eight airline or um, airplane. And the control systems that uh, they had to change because they extended the the number of passengers by extending the fuselage. Well, they put a big, oh, I think they put a bigger engine, or more fuel-efficient engine. And because of that engine's design, they had to put in a modified system called the MCAS, M-C-A-S, that actually controlled the aeron or the back, uh, I guess, what do you call it, the back? I always call it a flipper, but it's probably not <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it would compensate. Okay, because of the over, because of these powerful engines, the tendency was for the airplane's nose to go up, and so they put in an automatic uh, control system. That unfortunately, and this was a big, amazing over uh, overlooked uh, link, weak link in this uh, whole system was that they had uh, one sensor, the uh, angle of attack sensor. They were relying on one sensor with no verification, no backup, no other uh, uh, control uh, verification that this uh, was sensor was correct or wrong or not working. And in the United States, thousands of flights went on, apparently. I think the, the Boeing's... Um, big argument or big challenge there was that they didn't want to retrain the – have to retrain the pilots because of the incredible expense for all the airlines. If they put that out and the cost would be – and the demand for their ability to fly that plane would be dependent on all the training that they would have to do with each – all the thousands of pilots across the world – and it may apply in that. And so they really avoided totally from recognizing that absolutely training was necessary to make the pilots aware, which in the two planes that crashed, the pilots were not aware that there was this auxiliary system controlling the plane. And they were fighting a computer uh, control based on a faulty information from one sensor, and forcing the plane to... Uh, put its nose down, even though it didn't, it was flying correctly. And Mm -hmm. so the pilots, by the time they had learned that at least one set of pilots on one of the planes uh, had turned off the system, but because of the high velocity of the plane, it was too late. And later in the failure analysis, they realized that if the pilot did not act and turn off the system within 10 seconds, of its misinformation, miscontrol, it would be too late. It would send the pi- the plane, in such an angle of a uh, downward angle that you could not recover from.
0: It. Yeah, and, and part of the argument there is, and I, you know, it, some products it, you do have to do training for the people right. who are going to use it. I mean, I, I wouldn't right. get on a, a backhoe. Uh, without somebody saying, "Oh, this is how you go use this thing," right. you know, like when I rent right. equipment at a at a, a, a re- equipment rental, they right. spend the time to go. All right here's how you turn it on and off. Here's the safety features. Here's things to be aware of. You know, and it's right. pretty minimal, but the machines are pretty robust, like a rotor tiller right. or something like that, and they're dangerous. But so they give you right. the basics pretty darn quick. Now something more complex, and you got four thousand switches in front of you, it might be a little more complicated but right. the the but the reliability training you know for the pilots and and for this kind of situation is just obviously a safety issue you know and right. but it's a reliability some element of that system failed for some reason right. for whatever mm-hmm. reason now right. back into the day you know some products like a a phone modern day touchscreen phone is that it doesn't come with an instruction manual <laughs> you
1: know? no, no, no you shouldn't have to be trained right it's, right and it's
0: yeah intuitive and if it doesn't work you're frustrated and you don't use it right it's not going to crash the plane um,
1: right 300 but, people aboard right, right. okay but the,
0: but the the notion is is that um there's a balance of where well, there's a part of the best reliability training and where you were going initially was is your previous products, the, the field failures you've had, the things that are in customers' hands being used by customers and where they want to use it and what right. works and what doesn't work. And, right. and then learn from that. So right. are you saying that we need to teach we should teach our customers to do root cause analysis for us. And then we don't have to do it. <laughs> but but you've run into organizations that their root cause analysis isolate the component that you think is faulty and ship it back to the vendor. And and that's the entire process. And
1: yeah. And like, yeah.
0: Mm, that's probably not working for you guys. How'd you know yeah. that? Well, let's think about it. But you know, <laughs> learning from failures um is a is a reactive process. How do you get ahead of that? How do you avoid failures? Because you don't want to wait until you made all the mistakes. Now you and I are old enough that we've made a good number of them more than we (laughs) want to admit. And we've run across so many different issues that we've got a portfolio of stories of things that failed, but how do we help the next
1: generation avoid those? Uh, Well, you know, Fred, I listen to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. How do we do it? We do better testing. We do better focus on the, the, you know, or maybe our FMEAs and risk assessment stuff, risk assessments and, and, and do focus our attention to those critical systems. And, and then at a system level, making sure that, you know, not only does this, One section work, but it interfaces well, even under uh, variation with the next system, you know, that you may buy from a vendor, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, power supply, whatever. Does it have the right regulation? You know, you know that that's going to be enough uh, regulation on that power supply to handle the variable load that this this, uh, board is going to ask for Mm -hmm. and things like that. I mean, it's just, um, again... I think you can get, this is, you know, again, when David Packard said you've got to, this is the one way, essentially, I'm I'm paraphrasing his quote, there's only one way to improve reliability. Models may help to some extent, but the only way is to build, test, and fix those things that fail Mm -hmm. and repeat the process until the goal of, of, of acceptable reliability or robustness is achieved. And that's the only way. There's only one way to do that. But I'd say that we're missing a lot when we don't monitor our tests. We're not monitoring the right things. We're not doing enough samples or pushing it far enough. I mean, I think all those things have to happen and we all do those. But on the testing part, we could most companies could do a lot more and be willing to go to the limits. And I again, we don't want to say, I don't like using failure because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It it's so a connotation. Negative. Oh, yeah. it, man, it just slams the door shut in a lot of people's yeah. brain to, to testing better. But, but you and I have...
0: A world of experience uh, in right. all kinds of labs and products and testing and root cause analysis and and, and design work and all kinds of stuff, right. and and have actually gotten to talk to customers and you know on occasion, yep. which every engineer needs to do. But what about in? And you know that I I teach. Well, at Mark Univers- is
1: very careful about engineers talking to customers. Yeah, it's just,
0: <laughs> too many Dover cartoons <laughs> yeah, out there to
1: scare yeah, us, yeah. scare them away. Yeah, right. But
0: but you know, I teach uh, a course on engin- reliability engineering management right. at University right. of Maryland, mm-hmm. and the vast majority of the courses in the the master's and PhD program. Are your favorite topic, you know, the Weibull analysis, or should you use the gamma <laughs> analysis instead, or modeling, oh, but or size, yeah, physics of failure type stuff? Or, and, yeah. yeah, we got to use the gamma function today because that's it's National Gamma Function Day.
1: And in a totally different world than manufacturing and real reliability. Yes, go right? ahead.
0: But if that's where. And, it, and my experience is limited just to a handful of university programs. And I'm sure there are some that are very practical and some are very good. Um, but the theoretical stuff is, I mean, that's the, if you're going to get a PhD in reliability engineering, it usually means you got to do some pretty serious math and you got to do some serious modeling. and right. You got to right. understand all of these concepts right. that are theoretical. Um, yeah. But, why are they teaching them that stuff when they, you know, here's a product, go fix it, (laughs) you know, would be, is what we're saying is a way to learn.
1: Well, Fred, you know, I still, uh, I see a lot of reliability engineering and reliability fairly still having a strong influence from the military uh, industrial complex. And since that is a huge, huge budget uh, item and it's been increased again, uh, that there's still the very big profit motive of uh, contracting and making a minimally reliable product. And that's where a lot of the people in the go to industry. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't think academics and, you know, I, I give credit to Michael Pack that professor Michael Pack, who I've known for over 25 years now. And we've had many wrote a paper together and some other things, but, um, From an academic standpoint, they really – they're only exposed to the things that companies want to expose them. KALS does – has a consortium, and uh, they are basically at the – uh, request of their consortium members on what they're going to study. And what they're going to fund. That's what they're going to fund, right. What they're going to fund. Yeah, I was part of that team once. I was right. representing
0: a company, and we were interested in uh, heat sinks and and dust right. buildup on them. So they went off right. and explored that. They, they have a bevy of grad students that did a great job of it. But,
1: right, and they're doing great work on lithium-ion batteries because that's certainly becoming hot much— is it like a hot topic with the Boeing Triple Seven no, no <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a few things, you know, a few batteries blowing up, uh, like the Dell laptops, or this actually it was a different vendor that provided those batteries, and they yep. did have other problems. But because of that, uh, you know that that um, that um, you know did, did, did those kinds of things uh, happen.
0: Well, it helps. I mean, there's stuff – there's something to be said to, you know, look at things that you're interested in or curious about or have a question about, and CALS has resources that can make those kinds of studies happen. Right. Um, exactly. Right.
1: They're regular and, and fixed and, and like, wear of a tire tread, you know, or things like that. With right. The-
0: but they also have a, a F.A. lab. Uh, I, right. I think they still do. And so they, they get – kind of a, a pulse of what's going on in the industry. And this is an electronics right. industry mostly. Right, right. And so they get a sense of what's causing problems and they can propose studies to help fix that. But I think underlying that though, underlying both what you talked about with with what uh, Packard said and what like Hobbs I'm sure said and um, what you're talking about now with CALS with is you got to be curious the The best training right. we got is simply notice that doesn't look right, or right. that smells funny, or I don't right. know enough about that. And right. you don't need a PhD to ask those questions. No, and and so it's you know, there's some argument that getting a PhD and going through that rigor gives you a, the ability to a, ask better questions. And there's all kinds of argument right. on that. But the idea is is that the best reliability training. In my mind, is your own curiosity, and right. and and then you got to be tenacious about it to right to follow through and and make the case and and do the investigations and and right. read the books and listen to the podcasts and everything else. But to every day, you should learn something you didn't know before, you know. And when it's in reliability, there's you're going to be way behind if it's only one thing per day. <laughs> but you also
1: you also need to be have a, a situational awareness about reliability failures. Yep. So many of those are caused by an error, and somebody may be responsible for that error, okay? And so many cases, they don't want to talk about it. They yep. don't want to expose it. They don't want to – certainly the public and or the competitors, they certainly don't want those things to – be known to them, to the public or whatever. So well, that's it's a cultural, not easy. It's they not don't easy. just hand you books on the failure analysis they've done. Oh, I don't know. If well, you,
0: I've done this for years and years and years. Is, you know, you're visiting a client and we go to lunch yeah. and there's like three, four of us sitting down to lunch right. someplace, usually at a cafeteria in their building. Right? Yeah. And I'm under NDA and all the other happy stuff. And so right. a common topic I bring up is so... So you guys have any, you know, major disasters? What's the last two or three that you've, <laughs> you know, big issues you've had? And and it usually it leads to some fascinating stories. Like, yeah. I mean, like you're talking about this Veractor, and it's fascinating right. how that sorts itself out and you figure things out like that. And so I learned about it. It's it just be curious about it. Now you have to have the trust and, and right. you know, the legal shields. And I think that's part of it, but it, it's it's still asking that question and, and then getting those stories. And the, and the funny thing I've learned over the years is that people remember the three big ones, and, it, and but not everybody remembers the same ones. Depends on what you were involved with and what part mm-hmm. of the organization you were. So this one right. organization, there's three guys sitting there and they came up with nine completely different stories. And they were all arguing with each other which one was the best one. Or the worst one. <laughs> it's was, it was funny, but they learned from each other. Was, oh, I didn't know that I could do that. because oh, one was a mechanical engineer, one's an electrical engineer, and and they were like, I, that really that can happen with that, and and yeah. and so they they could learn from each other if they right. would just talk about it, <laughs> you know, that that kind of thing. So it was once I ran into that, I always asked that question, but the yeah. the the so we're saying the best way to learn reliability one is just do it right be curious ask questions and be aware of what's going on.
1: understand unreliability yeah. okay from whatever product because it's usually and it's fairly common and it's unique i mean it's unique to each company and each manufacturing line and each product you know there's just very there's so many different reasons and that's why again it's uh, you can't really model most of the unreliability. You can't model because it's not intrinsic wear-out modes that is the cause. It's a mistake in the design, or well, you can model that too. You can
0: you can model the rate of mistakes in designs. There's all kinds of ways to go about it, but is it worth? If everything doing?
1: else is the same on a manufacturing line. Yeah, probably. No, there's all yeah. kinds of
0: ways to go about doing stuff. The basic idea, though, is that. Uh, papers, books, conferences, workshops, webinars, podcasts, like this one for example, and and all of these other outlets for our our professional I- engineering knowledge type stuff, the stuff right. we right. all share with each other. Mm-hmm allows us to learn the language, to be, increase our awareness of what's working or what's not working. It increases right. our sensitivity to things. It may improve your ability to do root cause analysis and understand issues, right. even if it's nothing more than networking and you learn, well, there's other people that know a lot more about this. Let me get in touch with them and ask a question right. or two. Exactly. There's so many ways you can learn. So The best reliability training or education you can have is be curious.
1: That's right. The 5 whys came from that. And yeah. actually, there's many more than 5s usually. <laughs> usually, yeah.
0: So Ascendo Reliability's got a lot of the core stuff, papers and podcasts and webinars mm-hmm. and all other good stuff. Uh, Kirk, you've got a book out there. It's up on the site. You can get it through there, or you get it at Amazon. Um, we've there's lots of information out there. And right. those are all supporting parts of your education. And in, in my education, frankly. But, the, um, but there's lots of ways to go about doing this. So if you're listening to this uh, and you made it this far and you know what I'm going to say is let us know what you think. What, <laughs> what's your take on this? What's the best training you, in support, whether for yourself, for your organization, or for your customers? What's the right way to approach this? And what's the best yes. way? And exactly. You, you can let us know over at AscendOverLiability.com slash go slash s-o-r um there's a a speak pipe widget there you can leave us a message or you can leave us a written message kirk and i and the other hosts are available on linkedin and on Ascendo on our about pages lots of ways for you to join the conversation
1: yes please send us your questions we love hearing from our listeners we certainly do
0: all right well thanks so much kirk um I think i'm going to sign up for a class this afternoon i'm not sure
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay fred go for it there's always more education
0: that's right all right we'll talk to you
1: later all right fred Cheers. take care.
0: thanks for listening to speaking of reliability we invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show please let us know You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on
1: iTunes.